Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently written his first book, which is titled, What to Do with Worry, Why Playing God Never Works. You can find Olin's book on ChristianFocus.com and Amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. All right, uh, John chapter 17, and we're going to look at praying for your disciples. And I know some of y'all don't even have discipleship groups yet, right? So this is, in some sense, a lot of theory. And what can you be doing in the meantime? The main thing you'll be doing is just praying. Praying, God, give me disciples. Help me to have people that I can pour into and I can mentor the sooner the better. Uh, pray for that. We're going to look. Uh, we, we see a lot of Jesus' prayer life in the Gospels. We hear a lot of His teaching in the Gospels about prayer. We only hear him praying specifically for the disciples uh, really just a couple of times. And obviously John 17 gives us uh, the most content, the high priestly prayer. And Calvin says that when Jesus is praying here, he didn't really have any of his own sinful fears that he needed to calm. But he knew his disciples were struggling with sinful fear, and so he's praying for them. One of the best things you can do, we talked about this with the guys, in your discipleship group is pray in front of your disciples. Pray out loud so they hear how you pray. And that, that's a, that is one of the best kinds of modeling you can do. So don't just go through the motions. Don't just use prayer at the very beginning or at the very end of your discipleship group. It's kind of like a way to transition, right? Sometimes we're guilty of that. Um, use prayer as you're really pouring out your heart for these students in front of you, for the nations, and let them hear how you pray. That can be one of the most impactful things for them is just praying with you, hearing how you pray, learning from you. Even if you have a Bible study, I bet some of us have experienced this, of a lot of Christians, and sometimes you say, would you like to pray for us? There's a lot of people that's like, no way I'm ever praying out loud. They're very uncomfortable with that. They don't feel very confident in their prayer life. And so modeling for them how to pray is a great thing to do. And we're going to see... Jesus' prayer here. So we're not going to read the whole thing. We'll start in John 17, verse 11. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. 
O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. So, three big themes that come out in this prayer that I want us to look at, just to help us inform when we do pray for our disciples, what type of things should we be praying for them? Unity, sanctity, and intimacy, okay? And all of this, in one sense, is under the theme, keep them. That's what, If you had to boil it down to just one prayer, okay, just one theme. Did you have a question? Yes, unity, sorry, sanctity, and intimacy, okay? But really, if you just want one, right, let's keep it simple, stupid, it's just protect them. Keep them. Just protect them, Lord. But how does that protection flesh out? How practically are people kept from the evil one and preserved? Well, part of it is through unity, right? You heard that coming out over and over. They may be one. That They may be one. He's been with them. He's been protecting him. That was part of his job. And now he's ascending back to heaven. The Holy Spirit's going to come. So in a sense... The Father, the Holy Spirit, are going to maybe, in a sense, be more at the forefront of protecting the disciples. We need to remember, guys, that this is real spiritual warfare. Did you notice? Protect them from the evil one. This is not a game, and there is an enemy. We don't go out and do ministry in a neutral uh, vacuum. Uh, it is a literal spiritual war zone out there. And he's saying, Father, you and I and the Holy Spirit, we all have unity together. And in some sense, I want believers on planet Earth to have that kind of unity with one another. That's a pretty high standard. Now, we know this, but it's always worth saying, especially in our culture today, unity for unity's sake is no good. It has to be unity around the truth. Okay? But part of what he's saying here is that he doesn't want them squabbling about small little differences that don't really matter. Okay. Uh, we want to be one in our stand against a lost and dying culture. One in our mission to go and reach that lost and dying culture. Okay, And not splinter it apart. Uh, organizational unity is no substitution for spiritual unity. I think that was a footnote in the Reformation Study Bible. And, and the point is, this doesn't mean they all have to say, I'm a campus outreach student leader. They all have to go to the same local church. doesn't mean that as much as it means they have to function like they're on the same team. That's what you're really after in day-to-day life, that they're living for the same things, they're professing the same things. When they're going out there into the world culture, that the, the world is seeing us unified on mission, that we're about the same things, the main things. Okay? Here's Matthew Henry. When Christianity, instead of causing quarrels about itself, makes all other strifes to cease. When it cools the fiery, smooths the rugged, and disposes men to be kind and loving, courteous and beneficent to all men, studious to preserve and promote peace in all relations and societies, this will recommend it to all that have anything either of natural religion or natural affection in them. Do you understand what he's saying? I mean, we should be known by our love. John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, a new command I give you, Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It was interesting that Joe said his greatest discipleship experience was when the disciples loved each other the most. And y'all know this. 1 Corinthians 15.33, bad company corrupts good morals. If you're discipling one person in some hard target group, just having you as their mentor is probably not going to be enough. 
when they're out there all by themselves. But if they can just have one good friend that's really trying to walk with Christ with them, and in a sense they're doing it together, that can be life-changing. Just one other person trying to say no to sin, trying to say yes to righteousness, trying to speak up for truth. So pray for them to be unified in the mission. Pray for them to be teammates. They don't have to be best friends, right? But you don't want them getting into little squabbles about little secondary and tertiary theological things that don't really matter. Just make sure they're unified on the main things and they're doing life together, okay? Unity. Second, sanctity. Over and over, he's praying, you know, they're in the world, but keep them from the world. They're not of the world. Keep them from the evil one. Guys, this ought to be a big part of our prayer life. Please keep people that were discipling holy. Lead them not into temptation. Deliver them from the evil one. The, the ways that Satan is trying to whisper faults and lies into their minds and, and, and accusations and condemnation. Protect them. Protect them, God. You, you can't be there with them all the time, giving them good advice. But the Holy Spirit can. So, you know, there's a story, Andrew Murray, probably a lot of y'all know him, wrote a lot of great kind of devotional books. He was, uh, I think, a Dutch uh, guy that was a minister in South Africa. And he was, a, he was a circuit preacher. He would, he would ride on horseback a lot of times and preach all these places. And one of the things he noticed is the congregations that he couldn't get to because they were so far that he would pray for them more often. And after a long period of ministry, he started to realize the congregations that he didn't actually spend as much time with, but therefore he spent more time praying for them, they were actually doing better. And the congregations he was able to see more often, but he was... Not praying for them as much. Now again, don't put the two. It's like, oh, so I'm going to quit seeing my disciples. I'll just pray for them all day. No, do both, okay? Spend time with them, life on life, but also be praying for them all the time. Robert Murray McShane has this great quote where he says, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. So this, this is one of these, more is caught than taught. If they see you personally fighting for and wrestling for holiness in your own life and you're honest about that struggle, there's a much better chance that they'll be doing the same thing. But if you're always showing up, kind of putting your best foot forward, they're going to think, well, he or she is a spiritual superman, and I can never be like them, so why should I even try? And I surely don't want to talk about all the stuff I'm struggling with because they're so intimidating. So be real, be honest, and again, be based in the truth, right? Thy word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. When in doubt, just go back to the Bible. Give them the Bible. Get them in the word. You know, I've really wrestled. If I could only teach my disciples one thing, what would it be? And it would be this, to be self-feeders of the Word. That they love the Word, they read the Word, they're able to take it, they're able to interpret it, they're able to apply it to their lives. Now, I want to teach them more than that, but if I'm going to teach them one thing, I think that's it. Right? It's either that or live in good Christian fellowship. Maybe those are the two wings of the plane. Because those are the things that can sustain them and can get them to everything else they'll ever need to know or experience in life. Two spokes of wheel. Two spokes of wheel. There you go. There you go. It's a two spoke wheel. You know. Uh, some people like four spokes. I only like two. You know. Keep it simple, stupid. All right. uh, and then the third thing, intimacy. And what he's really praying about is, you know, I think I heard Piper say one time, Jesus is the happiest being in the universe. And did you notice in this prayer he says? I want my joy to be in them. That's a radical prayer, guys. And that's a good prayer to pray for yourself. I want to have all the joy of Jesus in my heart. And I want my disciples to have joy because I think we all know this. 
the main thing that will lead to real holiness and sanctification in life is joy in Jesus. Right? I want everybody for just a second to think about whatever your personal deepest sin struggle is. Now turn to your neighbor. No, just joking. We're not gonna we're not gonna talk to our neighbor. Okay? Just I just want you to be honest with yourself for a second. The place in life where you're tempted over and over and over again. And it seems the most powerful. But when you have the greatest and strongest sense of intimacy, worship, joy, enjoyment of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's like the power of that temptation just fades away, isn't it? It just, it just loses its grip. It seems dead. It seems weak. It seems pointless. It seems stupid. It seems like going to eat garbage after I just had a five-star gourmet feast. That's what we need to be experiencing, and that's what we need to be praying that our disciples will have. John Gill says this talks about an eternal happiness, right? So it's not a temporal happiness. It's an eternal happiness that it's going to last into the next life. But it starts now, and it's the happiness of heaven. Romans 8, 17. Love this verse. I'll start in verse 16. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we also may be glorified with Him. We're going to share in all of His glory. We're going to be a joint heir with Christ. Pray for your disciples that they really believe that. And in a sense, they, they get a foretaste of glory divine. They're already tasting some of the glory of heaven when they read the Word. And so they're like, it's worth it. I'm going to persevere. It's hard. I feel like a weirdo in the culture. But I love Jesus. I'm enjoying Jesus. I'm going to persevere. Okay. So pray for disciples. Pray for unity to face the world, to share the gospel. Pray they be sanctified in truth. Pray for deep joy and intimacy. But did y'all notice about this in this prayer? He, he spends most of the time just praying for the disciples. But then near the end of the prayer, he shifts. And he says, I don't just pray for them. I also pray for those that will believe because of their word. You know who that includes? That's me and you guys. I mean, this is pretty powerful. This is a place in the Bible where Jesus is literally praying for you. He's praying these things for us. And we know, you know, we don't talk much about the, ascend, the ascended ministry of Jesus, what's He doing today in heaven, but the main ministry He has as our advocate is He's praying for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? And I think Paul's saying, I realize that Satan is still trying to condemn you all. Christ Jesus, is He who died? Yes, rather, He who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And I believe it's Hebrews chapter 7, verse, 20, uh, verse 25. It says, uh, Therefore He is able also to save forever those who draw near to Him, to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. And that's what He lives for. So, again, I know that we all believed in once saved, always saved. But it doesn't look that way on a day-to-day basis, does it? There's a reason the Bible talks about people falling away because there's a lot of people like Judas that look like they're saved and they eventually fall away. So there's a great prayer to pray for disciples. Preserve them. Keep them. Keep them saved. Keep them in the faith. Keep them from the evil one. And that's what he's living for in heaven. Okay. Now, one last quote just to think about this. Matthew Henry said... He paid for what He prayed for. 
He did not count his own happiness complete unless he had his elect to share with him in it. Jesus could have stayed in heaven, guys, and had everything he wanted for himself. But he loved us so much, and he loved those that he's going to reach through us so much, that he said, my greatest happiness will be when I can win them. Now, when we go to pray, right, we have no rights before the Father in and of ourselves, do we? Right? I mean, that's why we pray in Jesus' name. I'm here in Jesus' stead. In a sense, Jesus paid for me to have the right to be here and pray for these things boldly and confidently before you. But here's what's so powerful, once again, about his life and his prayer is when he's praying for all this stuff, he knows I can get all this stuff. I just got to go pay for it. And there's going to be times where we're tired and we're weary and we don't feel like praying. And it feels like, you know, too much of a price to pay. But just think about the greater price He's already paid for us. And the price of going and just cashing in on the benefits He's bought for us seems much easier, doesn't it? Okay. Father, would You please make all of us into the men and women of prayer You want us to be? In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.